the Click owns this business. Coming down the aisle, Bimbo, Jimbo, baby, who is? You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Give me a hell yeah. Today, woo, I've got the stop and profile like never before. From our studios in undisclosed locations throughout the Bay Area, this is In The Click. The microphone optimist, Bimbo Jimbo, alongside my tag team partner, Patient Zero, Baby Huey. Hello and welcome again, everybody. We're still alive, pal. I, I, I don't know what to do anymore at this point, Jimbo. Patient Zero, like, can, I, I'm, call me microphone chemist or something if you're doing alchemist. <laughs> Microphone chemist. Something. Uh, I, like, I need a better name. Like, uh, let me be like the Walter White or uh, uh, Heisenberg of uh, wrestling uh, shows, even though that doesn't make sense at all, but I'll run with it anyway. It was better than the backup name I had. What's the backup name? Outbreak Monkey, Baby Huey. So it's. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought Patient Zero had a better ring to it, but. You know, I we like can, that we, monkey. I mean, I remember Outbreak in the 90s. Like, as a kid, I was like, I got super scared watching it, and I was so happy Richard Gere saved the day. But... That's right. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, workshop that offline. But welcome back to In The Click, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a, of a heavy episode at the start here because um, – you know, as we alluded to in the Matt Hardy interview with the, the you know, there was still uncertainty surrounding Shad Gaspard and the re- the wrestling world has been hit very hard uh, this week with some tragic, tragic losses. And so we're going to get into that. We're going to talk, you know, the own heart, dark side of the ring stuff. So there, there's going to be some heavy stuff here at the, the top of the show. So I just want to prepare you all for that. And, um, on a personal note, I'm a little numb over one of them, and so I'm going to try and uh, and keep as is normal, you know, your friendly neighborhood bimbo jimbo as as I as I can, uh, but laying all my cards on the table here at the start. Uh, I'm feeling a little weird uh, tonight uh, about some of the stuff that we have to talk about, and uh, let's just there's just nothing, no way around it. We have to get into it. Uh, Shad Gaspard uh, did in fact die, unfortunately, at the age of 39. Um, he, you know, a lot of people have been rightfully pointing out that he died a hero. He made sure that his son's life was saved while they were swimming off the coast of Los Angeles, uh, before the water, uh, took him out to sea. Um, his body was found washed up on the shoreline though. And yeah, Shad Gaspar dead at 39, of course, most known for his run with crime time, uh, in WWE, which, uh, is one of those teams that I always thought had a lot more potential, uh, to be to be a real you know big part of WWE's plans, uh, obviously a very memorable team and just such a sad sad uh, event. And obviously the wrestling world's been re- reacting to that. But baby Huey, what was your uh, reaction uh, just to this whole thing? Because we didn't we haven't really had a chance to talk about it. Yeah, I mean of course as as you just mentioned, yeah, it's just very sad. I mean that just sums it up. It, it's an unfortunate situation, but 
I mean, if there was a way to go out as far as, you know, at a young age, like he was, um, to go out as a hero, that's, that's truly, um, uh, remarkable for him as a person. I, I think the fact that, you know, he put his son's life first over his, uh, to make sure he was safe and, uh, didn't drown in the water with him, uh, you know, it says a lot about him as a person. And so, and just seeing the outpouring love online and even just uh, WWE on their respective programming, AEW, social media from all the various wrestlers in the wrestling community, um, despite different promotions, everyone was acknowledging it. So it just shows that uh, a lot of people loved and respected him. And I think that just says a lot about him as a person. So, I mean, our hearts go out to obviously his immediate family, extended family, friends and whatnot of uh the wrestling world so it's just it sounds like we lost a good one and it's just so sad yeah that was that was one of the prevailing things uh that you kept seeing it's just what a what a good person and how i mean this the people that knew him well they absolutely devastated by it uh to lose such a bright kind uh young soul um it's just uh it's it's a tough tough beat man and uh i mean the fact that like you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where there are negative people existing, and sometimes when a tragedy happens, there are those people that come out and try to say something bad about someone. You don't see that with him, so I think that really represents him as a person that everyone seems like across the board has nothing but good things to say. So, uh, once again, like I said, just shows how good of a person he was, and it's just sad to lose someone like that at such a young age. But, um, you know, like I said, just R.I.P. to him, and just, of course, you know. It, Tomorrow's not grant uh, is not a given. So make sure, you know, you live each day the best you can. Be good to each other out there. Say, you know, you love, you know, your respected loved ones and just be there for each other. So it's like I said, tomorrow's not guaranteed, but you know, be a good person in the present time. Uh, as I alluded to, I mean, crime time in general I, in my opinion is probably an underrated uh pairing and had had, yeah. a, had a lot more potential in WWE and and I think one of the things it's 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 funny the the things that sort of you remember and stick out in earlier this year when Roman Reigns started sort of pairing with uh, the Usos as yeah. as a threesome. It reminded me uh, very much so of when Crime Time was put with John Cena for a short period of time, mm-hmm. and it was sort of in my opinion the reason why it made me think that because John Cena was the top guy in the company, but it was still that uh, the proverbial polarizing reaction from the fan base. So you put him with Crime Time, which were, uh, you know, very popular act in WWE. Yeah. And sort of almost in the hopes to, he would get some of that that uh, pop, that that universal love from Crime Time to rub yeah. off on Cena in the same way that I think WWE was hoping that the Usos' universal love and uh, would rub off on Roman Reigns. So I, I always, I found that to be sort of very similar and, uh, you know, friends of mine th- reflected very fondly on the time that Cena was with Crime Time. And, and the, another reason why I bring that up is because rumors, you know, speculation online on uh, Shad Gaspard's family's the GoFundMe page uh, to, to help provide for the family, a $40,000 donation uh, labeled as CTC RIP came through. And that set speculation that, that was, in fact, John Cena anonymously donating forty thousand uh, dollars to Shad Gaspard's family on that GoFundMe page, coinciding with an Instagram post that was 
shows Crime Time and Cena spray painting JBL's limo with the initial CTC, which is, of course, Crime Time and Cena. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't doubt it. Because knowing, you know, the kind of guy that John Cena is, that seems like exactly what he would do and that he would want to keep it anonymous. I hope it's true because, it, I mean, it is a beautiful sort of showing of love and respect. Yeah, and, and just going back with Cena's charity work over the years, especially with the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, it just sounds like, you know, deep down he's a good guy and he's willing to help people when he can, especially just even this whole pandemic. It's been going around. He'd been to visit a child who's sick and went to go see him still. He wore a mask and everything, but still went to go make this kid's wish come true. So that was just very cool on his part. So if that's true, if that's really him, I mean, just more power to the, to the, the legend that is John Cena. Yeah. And, and um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, just very cool. And I, I just, you know, respect to him for that. And it's just really cool. Like I, they were like uh, on the beach uh, a couple of nights ago, they had a little like gathering and it was cool seeing John Morrison and his wife and Chris Masters and his tag team partner, JTG. It just uh, a lot of the other fellow wrestlers gathered to, in uh, remembering him. So um, it just like I said, it, it's sad, but just it, it just shows just how what love he was. All the people coming together for him. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, uh, that was not the only person that we lost in the world of wrestling. Uh, Hana Kimura, who is somebody that I, you know, being completely honest, I am not tremendously familiar with her work. I'd heard the yeah. name. She was only 22 years old uh, and was a standout in Stardom, which is a women's professional wrestling promotion um, in Japan, and was a part of a Netflix reality television series called Terrace House, which I guess is where the issues sprung from. She was getting a lot of backlash online, some stuff, and the what, what I have seen reported, and I, I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, is that it was a suicide um, mm-hmm. at the age of 22. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, man, like, you know, the, these deaths back-to-back of each other just scary and sad uh but apparently like earlier in the day she was posting some stuff online like hurting herself and then deleted them right away which obviously led a lot of people speculating oh my god something going on with her right now and unfortunately uh she passed before you know someone i guess was able to get to her and whatnot so uh it's just it, it sucks and once again it's just a reminder about uh cyberbullying and people's actions online do have an effect on people. And I think there's going back to what I said earlier, just be good to each other. I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, you, listen, I'm all, I'm all for good nature, gribbing and trolling and stuff like yeah. that. I think, but th- th- there is a line that, that uh, a lot of people on Twitter, especially yeah. and certain other sites, they like to cross it and they like to really, um, really take oh. it to a place that it doesn't need to go. Uh, yeah. So as an unfortunate sort of byproduct is is something like this. And by all accounts from the people in wrestling that were familiar with the, her work and her uh, devastated, crushed, again, 22 years old, mm-hmm. uh, is, is so incredibly young. You don't even really know who you are yet at 22. Uh, yeah. And so that that is, um, you know, just a heartbreaking tragedy to – to lose your life at 22 uh, because of something that would have been easily preventable. 
uh, mm-hmm. is very sad and by all accounts was a rising star uh, in the pro wrestling world. So uh, we, of course, you know, to the family of, of Shad and the family of Hanukkah and all, all their friends and loved ones certainly are with them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to be honest, and on a personal note, the loss that affected me uh, in the most profound way, and I was offline for, for several days this week, so I, I actually uh, I just found this out um, probably about an hour before recording this show, uh, is that wrestling journalist Larry Zonka uh, passed away. And apparently this happened um, about a week ago at the time of this recording, and I, and I was completely unaware. And I am remiss for being unaware, uh, but I, I logged on to Twitter and I saw some... You know, I, no, I went to 411 Mania today, which, mm-hmm. is, which is where Larry wrote for for years and years, and I saw a link to a GoFundMe page, and I was like, what's up with Larry? And I know he'd had some some health issues, uh, you know, over the past year, you, you know, with some, some pretty serious stuff with his leg and, you know, having to have his, his leg amputated. and But he had made a great recovery, so I, I thought everything was, you know, on the right track. And then f- to find out that he died suddenly, uh, I'm not sure the circumstances of, of his passing, but um, I w- that one hit me between the eyes because I've been reading Larry Zonka uh, for as long as I can remember, certainly going as long as I've gone to 411 Mania that I can remember, I've been reading Larry Zonka's stuff. And he is, or was, which is a weird way to have to term it now, my favorite wrestling writer um, mm-hmm. that I have ever read. The one I respected the most, uh, even when I didn't agree with him, mm-hmm. I always uh, appreciated his perspective and his passion and his dedication. And that only grew over time, again, you know, with the health battles that he fought over the last couple of years to keep coming back and putting in the time and the work. Uh, he was the main reason that 411 Mania was my go-to place for pro wrestling news and articles and stuff like that. I've never looked forward to reading about wrestling until I started uh, reading Larry Zonka. And um, so I am really, really stunned by this news. I'm so sad for his wife and two daughters that he leaves behind. Uh, again, the tributes pouring out for for a wrestling journalist and not not one of the, you know, the thing about Larry is that he wasn't there to just speculate on what might be coming. He reviewed the shows. He reacted to news as it was reported and more concretely reported and gave his opinion. He, he wasn't there to tear anyone down out of malice. He would just give his honest opinion about things, uh, and he wrote in an entertaining, professional fashion. And I just, uh, you know, it, just, it, really, it really sucks uh, to lose somebody like that. It does feel like losing a friend that I never, I never met personally, but mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, over the years and years of reading him and the comments always on his his articles I would read too. It just, it was this, it was this community uh, thing. And, you know, over the years with our interviews and stuff, I would, I would often send him excerpts from our interviews and he was, you know, he was always kind enough to put those on 411. And I, you know, for me, the first time that one of our things made it to 411 was, was a, was sort of a milestone moment for me Uh, because that's the, that's the, to me, 411 was the gold standard yeah. Uh, of wrestling news and Larry Zonka chiefly the reason why. 
Uh, so I'm so sad to hear of his passing, and uh, they have set up a GoFundMe page for his daughters and his wife, uh, which we should put out the link and everything like that soon. I know I put it out on my Twitter, but um, yeah, just it's just a tough week, man. Yeah, it, it, it's it, as much as it's a week to celebrate for us, you know, personally, but also just for the world of of pro wrestling with AEW's double or nothing event this weekend. And just, yeah, there's shows going on on a regular basis still. It's a time to celebrate, but unfortunately, you know, there are the other side of all this, there are tragedies too. And unfortunately all were back to back to back. So it's, um, it's definitely a tough week to really uh, celebrate all this other stuff, but definitely got to out of respect, acknowledge what happened this week with the with the the unfortunate deaths so it's uh like i said earlier it's definitely a reminder you know hey live life the best you can enjoy it whether it's wrestling or whatever please take time to enjoy it and just be a good person as best you can and make sure you hug your loved ones tell them you love them check in with people be friendly with everyone show respect but uh, you know you never know uh when other people's times are coming so it's um you know, you live one life, make the best of it. The uh, the reaction for for Larry too, I was struck by. You got guys like Kevin Owens, Court Bauer, Austin Aries, Chris Jericho. You know, Impact Wrestling, Evolve, just to, just to name a few. Dave Meltzer, uh, Joey Janela, all reacting. Cody Rhodes put out in his message to the fans, he included Larry Zonka in the you know in the list of you know impactful names from the wrestling world that we lost and just how tough that was. So he, he made an impact. He is a legendary figure in the world of wrestling journalism from where I sit. Yeah. The, the very top that I have ever read. So um, rest in peace to, you know, Shad Gaspar, to Hanukkah to Larry Zonka. Um, just incredibly, incredibly sad. Uh, and we will try and make the awkward segue out of that into more sad because it was the season two finale of dark side of the ring uh, the subject matter being the tragic death of Owen Hart. I watched the episode. Huey, you watched the episode. What was your overall thoughts on uh, on the Owen Hart episode? Man. Uh, okay, overall, I enjoyed the episode. As we uh, previewed last week, it was we, we anticipated it was going to open up a lot of old feelings and emotions and stuff that you and I, just as fans, haven't thought about maybe really closely for 20 plus years and it did just that i mean just some of the footage that they replayed and and the broadcast itself of owen's death uh wow i i just uh, i think i texted you that night or you know and just my re- initial reaction was like i felt like a kid again like i felt back to like 1999 and so it just took me back to being 15 years old and just trying to like process what happened and it, it, it was so sad, and there's so much to break down. Quickly, just throw it out there. I mean, just hearing his family speak, because I have not seen of them or you know, heard of them in almost 20 years, personally. Just they, they, you know, obviously no connection with WWE since then. So lost track of who they are and what they've been doing. Uh, just the event itself, if the show should have gone on or not, that's another issue. Um just learning about Owen's, you know, backstory and his family life, his personal life. That was really interesting to see. And just his legacy to this day now, how he's viewed to him. I mean, so there's a lot to unpackage here. So, I mean, for you, did you, uh, what was your initial reaction from it all? 
I, I've, I think I've gone on record here a couple times that I, I have a sort of a uh, <laughs> a love a love hate relationship with Dark Side of the Ring because I think in in a vacuum for the diehard fan, it's great to enjoy. They're well produced. They are by and large well researched and well done. I don't know if they're always presented the most equitably to both sides of the equation. So I was a little worried coming into this one again that it was going to, as we talked about last week, there was going to be knives out for Vince McMahon and laying his, you know, own heart's tragic passing at Vince's feet. Um, to be honest, I don't think that they did that as much as I expected. Okay. Uh, there, there certainly were moments and moments clips. that yeah. I disagree with. Um, and look, a widow and the grieving family are entitled, they don't need me to tell them that, they're entitled to feel however they want to feel forever. It is not my position to tell them anything. But as, you know, an outsider, you know, looking at the situation Mm -hmm. uh, and knowing what I know of, you know, the company and Vince and everything like that, I will not lay the death of Owen Hart at the feet of Vince McMahon uh, or WWF. I I, I would have liked to have seen more of a pursuit of that, that harness company, uh, and, and certainly again, it was the, the way I come down, it was an awful, awful tragedy and it reopened those wounds it is, you know, the, one of the worst things to, to ever happen in wrestling, of course. Mm-hmm. And it really, uh, it took you back to that place when it happened. I think if things were done, diff- you know, if things were to happen today, I don't think there's any way they finish the show. Uh, yeah. but it's very easy for us to armchair quarterback that situation because we weren't there. And, you know, you got to put yourself back in that time period. We have the benefit of hindsight, the benefit of knowing that WWF won the Monday Night War and put WCW out of business. We we don't know what the mindset was there. Look, if we cancel the show, what ramifications that would have – uh, for the overall health of the company and so many people within the company that Vince is responsible for and what have you. So, look, I, I totally get the argument about canceling the show and, you know, and I see both sides of the show must go on stuff. Uh, in my estimation, look, somebody died, you should stop the show. Uh, if anything, to just preserve, you know, as Martha alluded to, the fidelity of, you know, the fact that, there was his blood in the ring, you, you know, like yeah. there's just certain things that you just want to, you know, let a due process, you know, run its course uh, so they could figure out what happened. But, you know, well, I, I, I just I'm not so interested in because they didn't just throwing the blame around, I guess. Well, the thing keep in mind also, I think now looking back on, it, as you said, hindsight is it was a crime scene and you would think the police would have came in and like, Hey, so even if Vince and them did not obviously did not stop the show, the show must go on their mentality in that moment, you know, take it out of their hands, make it easier for them. As far as maybe the police coming in and say, Hey, listen, there's a death here. We need to investigate, stop the show. So the other thing too, is it's just, it's unfortunate now with, with the harness, like he had a different harness, you know, all the other, uh, stuff we saw on live TV leading up to that pay-per-view. And then they decided to change it up just to save an extra couple seconds of him, you know, jumping out of the harness onto the ground. And it was just like, Oh my God. And, uh, I, I think is it, 
John Pollock, I think, the, a, a journalist or writer, I think last year did a really in-depth podcast explaining the whole situation. So if you want more uh, insight about that whole the day itself and what happened, uh, definitely seek that out. But uh, but for that day itself, I mean, there's a lot to break down. Uh, uh, I enjoy obviously seeing like just some of his early work in the episode of him wrestling in Canada and just transitioning to WWF. And just you know, you and I, you know, growing up in in the nineties, you know, we saw Owen make his transition here in America on the WWF uh, platform. So that was just really cool seeing that. I kind of wish they showed a little bit more of that, but I get it. You only have an hour episode to work with. You could easily done like a two hour thing on him, similar to Chris Benoit's episode. But uh, so they kind of just you know quickly went over his early years in wrestling. Uh, I would love to hear more about the Hart family and just growing up in that family, wrestling with them, I, training with them. The, to me, the most glaring thing about this episode is that Brett wasn't on it. Exactly. Dude, that and, was the, that was, so that's what I was getting to. It's like, where was, the, where was Brett? Brett was in season one, and and where was the other members that are alive or other members of the family that could have spoke on the other side of the story? Because that was a big yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what channels were were taken to try and get them on they might just not be interested in speaking about it they might not be interested in speaking about it uh in one that they were worried you know i i could see them not wanting to be on it because listen any documentarian has an agenda uh yeah. th- there's there's they are sort of scientists that's that sort of manipulate the hypothesis and they show the evidence that supports their hypothesis and that's not yeah. that's not to say that it's with an ill intent or anything like that but documentarians are storytellers. So they have a beginning and middle and end story that they're hoping to tell by and large. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if the, if the Hart family did not want to offer their words and have anything taken out of context and tell a story that is less than 100% what they believe in their hearts. Uh, but I did think, you know, Brett, Brett being on it would have gone a long way with me to make this feel more legitimate the fact that he, the fact that he wasn't on it, uh, I think, takes away a lot from the episode. Because listen, Brett, Brett obviously loved Owen, and Brett is the you know the Titanic figure uh, that we still have you know from the Hart family that's in wrestling, and he has mended fences with WWE, and uh-huh. and and I would be interested to I would have I would have been very interested to hear how that happened, uh, yeah. and, and what this documentary doesn't go into is that after Owen's death. Stu Hart maintained very, you know, very close relationship with with Vince McMahon. Uh, you know, that after the screw job, you, you know, which obviously preceded Owen's death, you know, the the, the relationship between Vince McMahon and Stu Hart is a, is sort of an unexplored uh, avenue of that story, and the one yeah. that they didn't go into there. Uh, so not having Brett, I think, really hurt this piece. Uh, I like you. I enjoyed seeing the early stuff. Uh, and, and one thing while I'm thinking about it, I, I, they, one of the things in this documentary, they were sort of, and JR too, was deriding the fact that they were putting him back in the Blue Blazer getup and what a waste of Owen's talent that was. And I can yeah. tell you, as a viewer and as a fan of wrestling in my teenage years, yeah, we all knew it was Owen Hart. They did all that whole deal. It was getting over, in my opinion. <laughs> it was working. And it was, in my opinion, as I was watching, I was like, this is, I, I firmly, look, he was supposed to be godfather that night to win the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, it was, in my opinion, going to be a cool springboard for Owen into what he was going to be doing. And it made sense to have this character as sort of a a rebuke for the Attitude Era, for all the, sort of a 
not RTC level, but a different, like, this this Hulk Hogan-type hero that sees all this sex, drugs, and rock and roll going on in wrestling and wanting to put, you know, put a stop to that. I thought it was working. As, as a young wrestling fan, yeah. I remember being into the return of the Blue Blazer and all the tongue-in-cheek stuff they were doing with, you know, Owen denying that it was him even though he was unmasked and claiming the footage was doctored. Uh, so I know they were ripping on it a lot. I liked it. Well, okay, so if you want to talk on just about Owen's career during that point was, yeah, I'm with you. I enjoyed Owen Hart a lot. I mean, obviously, Brett, number one, but Owen was number two. And But as far as his personality, I really enjoyed it. I mean, what he did, uh, the second incarnation of the Hart Foundation to uh, the Hart Foundation, the whole stable itself, and then on his own, you know, joining the Nation of Domination and with the Slammy Awards, all that stuff. And his personality, though, woo, like he kept going, woo. Yeah, o- Owen, Owen had personality for days, which yeah, was well, an interesting thing that, you know, in some of the his previous gimmicks, it was hard to get that out of him in the, in those in those gimmicks necessarily, but yet, like you said, with the Slammy Award thing, uh, and and I thought the the I thought the Blue Blazer reincarnation was getting that personality out of him. I still remember vividly, you know, him cutting those just the cheesy over the top, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and drink your milk. You know, it just it was it was fun stuff, and it was yeah. it was appropriate for the for the era, and I thought it was really going to work, you know, until obviously the the tragedy that that took him away from us, and oh. the thing that I kept thinking about yeah. uh, during Dark Side of the Ring with, with his, when he passed, just if he had stayed alive, the okay. matches he could have had with Chris Jericho, with Kurt yes. Angle, Eddie Guerrero. You know, all these guys, I, I, I have no doubt that, that he would have been a world champion. And, and I think, you know, one of the missed opportunities that they had when he was alive is not being in a major, major title feud with Shawn Michaels post-Screwjob. Now, maybe those yeah. those wires were too tense at the time, but that would have worked. It, w- it would absolutely would have worked. Yeah, and, that, and I was just going to bring that up, too. It's just when Chris Jericho said that, it was like he was so bummed because he joined the company, what, August 99, so just a few months of potentially maybe having a program with Owen Hart. And as he said, yeah, Kurt Angle, all the guys that came over from WCW and, you know, within a few years, the quote ruthless aggression era started. And so sure. By that point, Owen might've been a little bit older compared to his peers at that time, but nonetheless could have been putting on some banger matches with all those guys. So it's that big, what if question now um, from a fantasy booking standpoint, it would just been some amazing stuff. And, the other thing, too, was it was interesting, though, for someone as talented as he was, you would have thought he would have eat, sleep, breathe wrestling. But they said his family said early on he was trying to save up and, you know, retire you know, at a fairly that, decent young age. That is that, one thing that I have heard a lot of conflicting reports about. OK, uh, is that the what I have heard from people like Bruce Pritchard and. Uh, and, you know, and Bre- Brett Hart has spoken about Owen's love of wrestling. But what I've heard from, like, Bruce Pritchard's podcasts and stuff like mm-hmm. that is that Owen loved wrestling. He did okay. eat, drink, sleep, and breathe wrestling. But he knew Martha didn't like wrestling because, obviously, oh. it was this tough life that was, you know, taking him away from his family, you know, so many days of the year. So to her and to his family, it was 
sort of he would downplay his love of it to make her feel better and stuff like that. Again, those are not my words. That is just okay. that is just that is just what has been reported by you know one of the major figures that was there at the time. Yeah, uh, well, you- and, and so I was interested to, because that is one of the things. Uh, in the last episode, when I was talking, it was like he was somebody who loved wrestling. And, okay. and that is something that I've always been told, and that's something that I believe. I don't think you could do it and do it at the level that he did it and not have that pe- same passion that all the other greats had. Absolutely. I mean, you look back at what, him and Brett, that probably arguably the best opening match ever for a WrestleMania was him and Brett. Uh, it was just, just amazing stuff, his work in the ring. Um, but by the way, just before I forget, I mean, his son, by God, just looks just like him. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I was like, I was watching. I was like, oh, my God, he looks just like his dad. And uh, it just it's really interesting. You know, just they are so I could just tell by their mood and their dialogue. They're just so anti wrestling now for obvious reasons. But it's just of course she's a doctor. He's a lawyer. The daughter is a, a journalist grad. And they want nothing to do with wrestling. They feel wrestling is what ultimately, I mean, they don't want nothing to do with it because wrestling, you know, was the reason his dad is no longer with us. It makes yep. him safe. If he wasn't a wrestler, he could be still be alive today, which, yeah, I totally understand that. I just, you know, it just it, it popped in my mind during the episode. Like, if Owen was still alive, I wonder if his son would have been a wrestler and just curious what, if he would have been just like his dad. I mean, that's just. You know, another what if question, obviously. Like, like I said at the start of this, I will not tell any family in that kind of pain that I cannot even fathom what to yeah. think about pro wrestling or or, mm-hmm. or anyone. Um, it's not my place to do that. Uh, I I do think that, given uh, I'm one super proud of of all of them and the good you know philanthropy work that they're doing. I think the Owen Hart Foundation is a terrific way to honor Owen, mm-hmm. uh, and I think as impassioned as Mark Henry's speech was at the WWE Hall of Fame, and it was uh, yeah. certainly a highlight for me. Uh, yeah. They don't want Owen Hart going in the into the WWE Hall of Fame, and um, you know I think we all just have to come to terms with that and respect their opinion on the matter and, and move on from that topic because it's a yearly sort of thing. Is like, is this going to be the year where we can finally get Owen to the Hall of Fame? I I don't you know after watching that I don't see it happening, and we just have to sort of make our peace. Uh, with that, that that's their decision. And, and, and you could tell it, it's not only her, it's the son. So, I mean, this is something for as long as Martha's alive and as long as um, the son's alive, it, it, it's not going to happen. And so, like, the son is definitely just preaching what his mom believes. And and, and this is something that it's there's no point asking them. It, it, the answer is yeah. simple, no. So it, it, it's definitely, I mean, after this episode, I definitely side with them more and understand their viewpoint and agree with it. it it's uh and you know martha and in other interviews has been kind of critical just about the hall of fame in general the wwe hall of fame like what it really is what it represents um i i think i saw it was a dave Meltzer or something posted like owens in the the wrestling hall of fame i think canada so like he's in a hall of fame if if you want to give that title to him and, you know, as accomplishment. But uh, as far as the WWE hall of fame, this is something we've talked about many times before and in the past, just what is the actual hall of fame? There is no actual like location place to go. Uh, It's just whoever's in the good graces of the company at the time who gets in, who can maybe sell tickets for the the arena show of it. And uh, I mean, I mean, we can go on and just be critical of the actual 
Hall of Fame ceremony and what it really represents, and if, if it does re- really represent anything outside of you know what happens that respected year. But um, so I understand for them, it's like there's no point of uh, even bringing up the question anymore. It, yeah, I, I they think- don't want him in. There, there's nothing for him to actually go into per se, and all that stuff. I, no. I I just think that we have to just step away from that constant sort of hammering every year of it. And I still will pray that there will be a mending of fences there, uh, because I, I I believe that there is you know there is nothing that can't be really reconciled if if you know two people can sort of open their hearts to something. So I I, I will still hope for some type of reconciliation, just because I think. That will help everyone involved to lay down whatever bags of bricks and grief uh, that they have. But uh, I want to move on from Dark Side of the Ring uh, and talk about the WWE's docuseries. And that is Chapter 3 of Undertaker, The Last Ride. Overall thoughts on this episode, Mr. Huey? Um, I'm, I will admit, and this is something I was texting you earlier, I'm just a little fatigued now, three episodes in, of uh, the constant dialogue about Undertaker's like I don't know if this is my last match or not like every match obviously so now we're at the point we know what's happening the narration is covering the last three years of Undertaker's career um, from Orlando to I'm guessing the last episode the fifth episode is going to be about the Boneyard match with AJ Styles but it's like every match he's been in since Orlando is this his last match? Yes or no? The preparation, the psychology, the ego, all that stuff, uh, the mental and physical work of it all. Um, but it's like every conversation, they're like, I don't know if this is going to be my last match or not. I don't know. I mean, if it's good, then I can might be happy. But you know, if it's also good, then I, I can prove I, I still got more in the tank. Or if it's a bad match, you know, I got to go out there and prove everyone, all the critics wrong, that I still can do it. And so it's just, I'm getting a little fatigued by it for me personally and don't get me wrong i love all the behind the scene stuff of him you know talking to other wrestlers in the lock like today's episode we saw uh of him and kane in australia and and undertaker playing cards with the 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 doctor the that, trainer. that was the most like the last dance uh that we've seen so far because yeah. if, you, if you watch the last dance on espn michael jordan competitive and everything that he does loves to gamble and there was a lot of behind-the-scenes footage of him gambling with just security guards, uh, you know, that yeah. worked at the arena and stuff like that. And so to see Undertaker team. playing cards like that, I was like, oh, this is sort of similar to that in terms of just the things that you capture when they have a camera around you so often uh, was was very interesting. I'm sort of of the opposite uh, opinion. I really enjoyed this episode. Now, I get what you're saying, and I think there was a level of sadness in this one that is sort of becoming clear is that, and they talk about it. Triple H talked about the catch-22 of wanting to have that great final moment. But if it's too great, then you feel like you can keep going and, and you yeah. continue to chase your own tail in a sense. And Michelle McCool talking about the vicious cycle of you know coming back, having a good match, having a not-so-good match, and then wanting to redeem himself. Uh, I, of course... Enjoyed the, this. This to me was sort of the tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times uh, episode for me because it focused on my favorite wrestler of all time, uh, Shawn Michaels, and the two epics at WrestleMania 25 and 26 that he and Undertaker had, and so much of their history in, in their career. 
Uh, and just, again, two of the best wrestling matches of all time. Sean should have won the second one, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was really cool going back and revisiting those and even revisiting the third and final match between Triple H and Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yes, they had three. Uh, you see clips from it in this one. I love how in the storytelling they never mentioned the fact that they had, in fact, in, in terms of their bell-to-bell best match, probably was at X7. Uh, but at the in the Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania between Triple H and Undertaker with Shawn as the referee, uh, I remember uh, a buddy of mine at the time uh, even saying it, and then they revisited this. He's like, dude, Shawn is, like, is stealing the show in this match, and he's just the referee. Uh, yeah. And because he did such a good job selling that story. Uh, turmoil. And, and it, was, it was great that they all sort of recognized what a special moment they were in together, the quote-unquote end of an era, and that you know Triple H commissioned those really nice uh, commemoration pieces to be made of that moment and gave one to Undertaker and Shawn. That was, this, that was some pretty cool stuff. Uh, yeah. To see the ups, the the worst of times was that we had to revisit the Saudi shows, most notably uh, that damn tag team match that they just had to have, well, and okay. it was such a train wreck, and I refuse to recognize it. Okay, well, no, so he, this I was also trying to get at was the use of Shawn Michaels in this episode, so. Like, this should be called The Last Rides because he's taking multiple rides, multiple pit stops, and it's one one really long last ride as far as all these pit stops along the way. But um, Shawn Michaels, as far as his use in this episode, it's ultimately – that's what Undertaker strives to to get out of a wrestling career as far as the way Shawn was able to perfectly book in or have that storybook ending of a career – and in many ways, that's what Undertaker is striving for. Yeah, he as said much... he was envious that he got the John Elway ride yeah. off into the sunset. And that, and see, and that part I enjoy because that kind of explains this continuous dialogue of like, I don't know if this is my last match or not. Like, if it's good, it's like he is trying to chase what Shawn Michaels is already able to attain. And that's what I'm getting at is like I can now see why that repetition was going on throughout the episode was because of what Shawn Michaels and the respect they had. And it's really interesting. Like, you know, they touch on, you know, 90s era. They were not like on the same page as, you know, as personally outside of the ring. Shawn was a notorious prick. Yes. Uh, But but even Undertaker mentions it. But inside the ring, I mean, he's always been the truth. Exactly. And then. It's just really cool, you know, in the last 20 years, how Sean has was able to uh, improve his life for the better and how that's really helped their relationship. Sound God. Try it, people. Well, and so I'm saying that that's really <laughs> cool. Well, that's cool. They acknowledge that as far as um, that their relationship's actually gotten stronger in this latter part of their lives. And I do respect that. And then, uh, you know, the. The Australia stuff, you know, uh, Triple H Undertaker one last time, and then the t- so, and then um, you know, a month later the Saudi stuff, and so here's the thing, and they, they will not bring it up obviously, but they say, uh, you know, Undertaker asked Kane if you want to work this program, and they were asking Sean, and Sean's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. None of them are bringing up the fact that a lot of money was involved. Like they're all acting like they all want to one last time the four of them work together or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's like come on, there, there was a lot of money involved because Sean. They said respect to Sean for staying retired this whole time. I, not That's only a, when, not only a lot of money, and I don't know this for a fact, but uh, but I venture to guess that yeah. uh, that was more than the money. 
a huge personal favor to Vince McMahon. Yeah. They, they okay. signed this Saudi deal. This is what they want. They want certain they have this certain expectations. Like, would you do this for me as a favor? And, and I would be interested. I don't know how long it's going to take for that to actually come out, but I would, uh-huh. I would just love to hear. You're right, because I would love to hear the true and unvarnished story of how those Saudi shows came about. It's with, in particular, the Shawn Michaels fake coming out of retirement to wrestle that one match and Undertaker's involvement. You know, I, I would love to hear the the behind the scenes of what the ask was and just how how much not pressure in a bad way, but just the look, it would really mean a lot to me uh, because it would really go a long way to getting this deal done or keeping them happy after this deal, that kind of thing. I would, it would be interested to hear that. And as we're talking about the build to the, the Saudi show, they played some clips, but the one thing that they didn't show a redux of, a, a recap of, was the amazing promo between Sean and yeah. Undertaker in the ring. How do you not include that in the documentary? One well, of the best promos of the last decade between two of the all-time greats, and yeah. they and they recap and re-show some other stuff that was just so underwhelming by comparison. I was sort of I was sort of stunned. I rewound it to make sure I didn't miss it. Yeah, that, that I was. They, all they focused on was you know DX in the ring and says, "Are, are you, you ready? Are you, yeah, are you ready?" And they're like, "We got two words for you." And then they cut. They show the backstage uh, filming of uh, Taker and Kane, their response video, and pretty funny uh, outtake of uh, "Go F Yourself." Like, oh yeah, that was great. I, I laughed like that was good. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. This shows you know they they're all you know jokesters and whatnot. So, uh, so it, it's. And as you said, because like when that match happened, I believe that was only their second Saudi show, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it was still in the first year of that deal. So, yeah, like as you said, I'm sure Vince is trying to win over them because it's supposedly a 10 year deal. So I'm trying to, you know, set a good example. I know. Listen, disclaimer. I know a lot of people have their mixed feelings about WWE working with Saudi Arabia in the first place. But for the purpose of this conversation, it's. It, it, as you said, said Vince, I think was trying to uh, set a good example of the type of entertaining shows that they can deliver for them for that big money. So, and yeah, as you said, maybe it was a favor to him, like the four of them going out there. Uh, so yeah, it was that uh, like you could tell like they were trying to set the tone of like this great rivalry slash friendship between Tanker and Sean. And then, as Triple H said, it was like a bad. Cop, comedy movie or whatever it was just it was just everything went wrong in that match it, it just and, you you didn't have a single person in that match that was wrestling a regular schedule yeah. and you had Sean who performed listen you talk to yeah. anybody that watched that match he was the one carrying the water in that damn match and he hadn't wrestled exactly. in almost nine years exactly he saved that match I mean obviously Triple H was badly hurt so uh, I'm sure they, they played that little clip like you alright and he says no I tore it I and tore Sean's- it God, the, the, the body recognition though to know you, you know exactly what happened and, but then Sean you can tell he's like look at Triple H and uh, I'm sure he's like crap I gotta finish this yep. by myself so, and, and then the the mask coming off of Kane and Taker, you know, not performing well. So it was just like, yeah, you know, they need the Benny Hill music playing for the highlight. Like, you know, it's just, oh man. It, and, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it was. That's why I say it was the worst of times. It was. Uh, as it, it is tough for me to watch that stuff. I will never rewatch that. Hopefully, again. But the one thing I will say going out of this is is the theme, and this this is sort of my takeaway from this episode. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm sure Undertaker has, you know, plans in mind about what maybe his last match truly will be. But in, in, in hearing him talk and in watching this, fantasy booking it, if you can get the buy-in for one more go between two of the greatest gunslingers to lace him up in the wrestling ring, you do Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker Part 3, which was rumored to be maybe what was going to be coming out of this this Saudi thing, and they didn't do it. Yeah. If Undertaker wants a true opus, a true masterpiece for his last match, perhaps finally at a WrestleMania, I think that's where you got to go. I, I think this time you flip the script and you have Undertaker being the one to plead with Sean to come out of retirement, and that where Undertaker wants that so bad that he puts his career on the line. And then so it's almost like returning the favor and, and that's how you do it. And that's how you sell the story. And it's very full circle. And I think it would I think it would be beautiful. I'm not saying it would be at the level of their matches from 25 or 26. But I think in terms of the guy that can still get the best match out of the Undertaker for what he has left. I still think it's the heartbreak kid who should ref it. Triple H, AJ Styles. I think like. you just go straight up regular referee. Hell, dust Earl Hebner off. Um, I, I think you go straight up referee. Uh, I don't think you add, like, the special guest type deal. Uh, you might want to put a stip on it just so you can maybe add some toys to it and, you know, let them sort of smoke and mirror their limitations. Uh, but I think that's that's the that's the route to go if you really want. And, okay. look, I have mixed feelings about that because it means, look, I can easily – uh, put that Saudi travesty out of my mind. Never happened. And I still have the bittersweet, but the absolute masterpiece from WrestleMania 26 is Sean's final match. You you, re, you ring that bell and you put him in the ring at WrestleMania again, that becomes a new memory. Uh, so that's a risk involved there. But <laughs> it just depends on if you think it's worth taking. Mr. WrestleMania versus Mr. WrestleMania. Who, who gets the real title? <laughs> well, it's clearly oh. Sean. As I said when we were texting, there's a reason why Sean's Mr. WrestleMania. The guy, as he said so eloquently on an episode of Raw, I believe, in 97, the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels is the icon that can still go. And uh, I stand by that, and I stand by Shawn Michaels. Uh, and uh, I am remiss, though, baby Hugh. I am I am remiss in that our last episode, uh, you know, our last full episode, I should say, beyond our Matt Hardy one, we did not mention a pretty cool piece of branding coming out of uh, NXT. It was announced terribly, <laughs> announced absolutely terribly by Shawn Michaels and Triple H uh, and Road Dogg. Uh, but <laughs> NXT TakeOver In Your House uh, is is set, and they're doing the full, you know, old-school In Your House branding with it, which, you know, Dodoy out there, all you clicksters, is, is sort of the genesis of the In The Click name, the logo that I had done up, it, the, the, my branding vision was always, as we were getting set to do this show, is like, I want to revisit the in-your-house stuff. Like, that yeah. sort of branding and everything like that. So for now, NXT to be doing it, I thought that was pretty cool. I got a big kick out. I popped big time for it. I, absolutely. When I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's another thing from our childhood and during, like, those prime years of you and I just – engulged with so much wrestling just watching it every week and and but yeah in your house has a special place in our heart so i mean for, correct me if i'm wrong just to kind of explain to the, the younger people out there so in your house so back in the day it really was 
a pay-per-view like the big four it was just once every once a quarter and then vince and whoever wanted to expand have a pay-per-view every month and before they labeled them you know specific pay-per-views that we see now like elimination chamber or money in the bank or payback all that stuff uh if it was a pay-per-view outside of the big four, it was just called In Your House. Am I correct? Is that the best way yeah, to it, describe the, it? The way the way I, I remember it is it was a two-hour sort of pay-per-view. It was a slightly shorter pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, and more reg- – it was the monthly pay-per-view. It was WWE's start – or WWF at the time's transition into a monthly pay-per-view model. Uh, yeah. Into more frequent pay-per-views. And it was at a lower price point, and they were shorter – but it the, the in your house brand and everything like that i'm always i was always just so fond of i love i love the old set and again yes. it is what eventually they transitioned away from you know in your house beware of dog in your house revenge of the taker but there were things like in your house breakdown which eventually would just you know the next time they did breakdown it was just breakdown and and, and i believe the last in your house moniker was in your house st valentine's day massacre i'm not sure yes, done, it is. It done is. no research on this it uh, is. but uh that just from memory i believe that was the last one so to me the the in your house brand is always something that i think is under talked about and i've always just it is just that those rose-colored glasses because when I was a kid, and just, I love the vibrant color scheme from it and everything to go along with it, which, again, is why that's sort of how I set up our branding here to be based around in your house. And so to see it sort of resurrected now, it just ma- it made me very happy. And Well, a couple things. One, for NXT, smart move on their part. Like, real talk, hey, we're all home right now. No, no people are allowed in attendance for the show. So, so we're all in great- our house. Yeah, so what a great way just to kind of bring back for nostalgia using the you know the, the play on words in your house for NXT for their takeover, awesome move because you know NXT with their takeover they always try to add the location as a part of the uh, of the pay per view. So for them to incorporate in your house, awesome move on their part, and I love that they've been for a while now. I've been trying to recycle maybe some old terms like war games, and as you see, yeah, in your house. I think it's a great. It's a smart play on their part, and it's a great way to bring back the logo. I hope, I so much hope they bring back the actual house setup for the entrance ramp. I I would geek out so hard because you and I, you know, we love the first, right, first pay-per-view where it was a Shawn Michaels comes flying out, swing on the rope. and like, Oh, yeah. Down. It's cool that they're bringing it back, and, and we'll, we'll see what they do with it, but I think it's a— I think it's a good sort of bit of inspiration while we all are actually trapped in our house. While we are on the subject of, you know, in the clicks origins story and branding, we have hit a milestone here today with this recording. This is uh, in the click episode 100, uh, which is uh, pretty cool that we have hit, hit that number. Uh, yeah, you know, pat on the back to us and all that jazz. But I just wanted to to say uh, thanks to all the support, everybody that listens to in the click and you know, offers your feedback, shares our stuff, enjoys our stuff. You know, it really does make our day when we hear from any of you saying that, you know, you listened to an interview, you liked it, you had this feeling about it. It really does. It, it means a lot. I'm happy big to hit, uh, hit hit the big 100 with you, you know, and maybe, you know, they'll, what I was trying to do was to have evolution on this show because that, you know, they come on those big round number episodes that they were never a part of to begin with and act like they were there the whole time. So well, that didn't, wrong, that didn't work out brand. because of the damn coronavirus. Um, but congrats on 100. Yeah, thank you, Jimbo. And yeah, congrats to you as well. Thank you. Love you, man, for 
uh, everything you and I've been able to accomplish in the first 100 episodes. Here's to 100 plus more. But like you said, thank you to all the clicksters, all the family and friends of ours. Uh, thank you to your mom who listens and critiques you on a regular <laughs> basis. Uh, but no, but seriously, just uh, you know, all our, our family and friends who listen. And and I think for you and I, it's really, um, really uh, put our, um, how can I say it? Um, it's really put our spot on the map in as far as the whole landscape of wrestling coverage slash shows i mean there's a hey, real talk there's a lot of wrestling blogs websites uh personalities youtubers shows podcasters all out there all vying for a little bit of space in this whole world that we all uh take in all this content so for you and i to to have a little bit of a piece of that whole landscape it's just really exciting and um uh, uh, listen, like I said, there's a lot of great talented shows out there. So for you and I, we've been able to accomplish a lot as well and really set the tone. And I think just even locally here in the Bay Area, you know, when we go to local wrestling shows, we've been meeting more and more people who listen to us or acknowledge us and thank us for the content that we provide. And uh, uh, but it, it just for you and I, it's just been so much fun. Like I, I Definitely want to say, you know, it's this, the this highlight of my week personally, just for you and I get to talk about something you and I have been lifelong fans of and have fun, interview some of the biggest names in the wrestling business and just the trips that you and I have been on uh, covering wrestling shows and WrestleManias. It, it's all been just such an amazing experience thus far. I mean, just going back to, you know, I always WrestleMania is not only like the showcase of the immortals and a big event of the year, but it's, I, I kind of hold that as like our like anniversary. <laughs> if you say of us, you and I doing stuff together, as far as wrestling goes, you know, when we first did our first set of wrestling interviews at WrestleMania 31 in the Bay area. And then I always say SummerSlam is kind of like the anniversary of us actually doing, starting the show together. So, you know, those two points in the year, I always uh, look forward to as far as what you and Abel, uh, I uh, have been able to accomplish together. No, nothing left to say, really, other than... I hate you. I hate your guts. <laughs> Suck it. All right. <laughs> wow, you've been waiting to play that all... Happy 100 and moving right along. We have to get into All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing... Uh, their flagship pay-per-view show here, and you know, they obviously being done in front of you know no traditional wrestling fans. Um, overall thoughts on the show? I really was entertained by it. I, I I have no issue with the paying the you know Huey and I split it, so I have no issue paying the the twenty-five hard-earned American dollars uh, to to pay for uh, AEW's pay-per-views and stuff like that. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show overall. I, I have some, obviously, I, I didn't think it was perfect, but I think the main events, the title matches delivered in a big way overall. I would have maybe built the card a little bit differently, just right off the top. I, I think uh, they probably, in, in my opinion, this is just one man's opinion, I think the TNT Championship match, if the AEW Championship is not going to be the main event, crowning this first ever champion for your TV partner, uh, should have been the main event. And I get that the the stadium stampede match was this very unique deal, but it's pre-recorded. You could slot that in anywhere in the show, and it would have had the same impact. Uh, I, I think I would have rather seen something happening in the ring ending mm. th their show, and I, and I would have gone with 
either Moxley and Brody Lee. But honestly, going into this, I would have put the culmination of this tournament and this new championship uh, as the the main event of the show. But overall thoughts, Baby Huey, on Double or Nothing? Yeah, like you, I I thought overall the show was very entertaining. And you and I were talking off the air. Uh, From a logic standpoint, some things did not shake out properly from like a logistic standpoint. We'll get into that as we go. But overall, a lot of fun. I I, I think they did a a great job of just uh, showcasing their roster once again. And now, I mean, well, as we make our way, like the additions that they currently have made now, they have a deep roster now uh, uh, and some, some big, big talent on the roster now as well. So but overall, a little bit of something for everyone. Um, I think last year probably had a little more better variety of the different styles of matches. This one, there's a little bit of repetition uh, as far as just jumping ahead. The women's world ma- world title match and uh, the men's title match, back to back, very similar as far as fighting in the ring and then going all along the outside and then coming back in. So very similar structure of storytelling that they yeah, did. Yeah, I-, I think that is sort of a function of the empty arena stuff is that you have to do something to sort of really Break bring the theatricality out when you don't have fans. And, and so I, I sort of looked at that uh, as that's why they sort of, you found that repetition, but I, I, I found a lot of creativity uh, in this show uh, as well. And, and that's the thing too, uh, for AEW and WWE, kudos both of them in this weird, crazy time that we're living with the pandemic, when their backs are to the wall, they've been very creative and trying to, quote, you know, deliver cinematic type matches and, and deliver something a little bit different uh, to at least kind of break it up and not the same old repetition of just in the ring and obviously no one's around. Uh, so for them, being creative and trying to deliver something a little bit outside of the box. So kudos to everyone, both promotions involved. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was long, too. I was it was it w- that that is one thing it was. It did go a little long. I, I, I would have shaved some time off maybe a couple of the matches. Right. I mean, just right off the top. And this is okay. I, I, look, when you have Dr. Britt Baker have to sub out with an injury, uh, with all due respect to Chris Statlander, who in our last full episode, I was just singing the praises of as a rising star. Mm-hmm. I, I think, unfortunately, you got to for timing and pacing and storytelling, you just got to bench that match. Uh, it sucks yeah. for Statlander. But I'm sorry, Chris Statlander versus Penelope Ford with no buildup on the card makes no sense to me. Uh, yeah. The the well, Dustin Rhodes and Sean Spears stuff, um, uh-huh. you know, that was – that ha- it was not my favorite thing. I Look, and I love Dustin, but it was funny. I was watching that, and it made me think, like, you know, I know Sean Spears is in a featured spot, but he's not exactly being presented as, to be, as a threat to be taken seriously, is he? Yeah, it's just – well, this is kind of throwing him – Throwing the gear last minute, last week's episode of you know him trying to make fun of him, the Sean Spears news broadcast and calling him out saying he's going to retire or he is retired, popping pills, all this you know just jabs at him, and he goes out there in the suit and he's like, oh, he's not here, ring the bell, and he does show up and you know uh, Dustin tries to to the surprise of no one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on! Like, whenever in wrestling, does no one ever show up? It it would it would have been more compelling to me as a story if they count if they do the 10 count and Sean Spears gets the chicken bleep win and you know because Dustin honestly maybe should have been selling that beatdown from Lance Archer anyway and so you have Sean Spears continue to antagonize maybe he maybe on dynamite this week 
He calls out Dustin again, you know, and in a rematch, wins again via forfeit countout. You know, have him continue to sort of uh, build up his record that way until <laughs> finally Dustin is healed, and then and then Sean Spears gets his ass whipped. Uh, yeah. But so that I could have done without necessarily on the show, uh, but definitely Statlander. The Dustin Rhodes and Sean Spears stuff was just a few minutes. Statlander and Penelope Ford was just a few minutes, but it would have helped the pacing a lot, in my opinion. Because that could have easily cut off uh, you know, 10, I mean, 15 minutes probably exactly of, of, of time and everything. Package, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I do want to say kudos to MJF and Jungle Boy, which were one of the really big standout matches, in my, in my opinion. I thought I thought they had a hell of a match, and it was just a straight-up wrestling match. Um, and it was it was really, really well done by both of them. What did you think of the ladder match? And, you know, we'll just get it out there. Obviously, if, if you're listening to this, I assume you've seen it or seen the spoilers, uh, that the surprise entrant in the casino ladder match, uh, which I, I don't know if it's going to be like the money in the bank, <laughs> like, but it's this big – I like the visual of the poker chip. I may be maybe a little bit smaller, but uh, Brian Cage uh, making his AEW debut with Taz – uh, sort of as his second, be it his manager or whatever he's going to be. You know, he opens up Cage's theme song with a take of uh, off of Taz's famous Path of Rage in ECW. It's who can stop the path of Cage, uh, Brian Cage with AEW. Your thoughts on Cage's debut and the ladder match? I cannot wait for the match, whatever it happens, between Brian Cage and Kenny Omega in a battle of the... I'll be rooting for Cage in that. Uh, and, I, and, and I love Kenny Omega, but Brian Cage is the Terminator. Uh, he is the machine, uh, and I just prefer that he would have that. Uh, okay, but for the actual match itself, Brian Cage, uh, I really I, – it was cool seeing him out there because it was rumored. So earlier this year, I guess his contract with Impact was up, and he dropped the title to Tessa Blanchard. And he's been gone ever since, supposedly had some back injuries. He's been nursing those. Uh, but rumor was his contract was up, and he was probably going to go to AEW. And he definitely has history with the Young Bucks and a lot of those guys from their time in SoCal, PWG, and whatnot. So it kind of made sense. He wants to go work with his buddies. And so I was either thinking it was going to be him or maybe Pac, because Pac was on uh, Dynamite this week as well with a little video package. Uh, so maybe him as a returning. Um, I was trying to think of someone else that could have joined. Um, but like those are two that jumped out to me. But overall, the match, it, I, I enjoyed it. But I thought at times it got a little too chaotic. And uh, a lot of bodies involved. Jimmy Havoc, Penelope Ford getting involved. Uh, all these different. And, and some of the, okay, the logic. Okay, obviously this is very similar to Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank. Everyone starts at the same time. This match, they had the two-minute countdown. And right out of the gates, you have Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, who are you know on a, a faction together, SCU, a tag team and whatnot. You would And right away, they both run out and grab uh, ladders and come right back in. I was like, yeah, this is – because they said uh, all nine competitors don't have to be in the ring for someone to immediately start going for the, the, the poker chip. So when I saw these two guys on the same team, I was like, oh, yeah, they both should just grab the ladders, go right back in, and one of them should just help the other one up and grab it, and then at least the chip is in their tag team, in their family, and yeah. then they can figure out later who wants to go fight the title and whatnot. But uh, they immediately stopped, threw the ladders back outside, and I was like, what? What are you doing, you idiots? You're both 
our friends. You both can like get the chip right now. So that's why I, it did not make sense. Two members of SCU one and two starting out the match. He should have had one start out and then one come out later in the night. Yeah. Or, I agree with that. I, I you get what I'm saying. It's like they all should just start it. Like the two minute countdown, it kind of didn't really make sense. I, so I like the two minute countdown. I, I do. I, I think that's a nice little twist on it. Um, but I don't like the SCU not even going for the chip right off the bat. Then uh, kind of deal from a logic aspect. What I did like throughout the ladder match is that you had a lot of sort of I'm alone in the ring. I'm going to make a mad dash uh, for for the chip kind of deal. I thought it went on a little long. Uh, yeah. But I thought the spot with Darby Allen doing the skateboard off the ladder. Oh Dar- Darby Allen is oh such God. a star. Like, yeah. he, he is, uh, you know, really just continuing to show that he is a standout in AEW. And he has this, uh, that same Jeff Hardy, Daredevil type charisma about him that people really love. Uh, so, I overall, I really enjoyed it. I think, obviously, with Brian Cage making the big debut and winning it, that makes total sense. Um, and again, as I said before, you know, the match after that was. MJF uh, defeating Jungle Boy narrowly, but I thought that was a really fun back and forth, and I think uh, I don't think Jungle Boy lost anything in defeat there. Yeah, Jungle Boy MJF match, just MJF being more of just the a hole, cocky prick in there, and Jungle Boy. I mean, Jungle Boy, he's gonna be a natural baby face for years to come. So um, I still think he has a little bit growing to do, but uh, it's gonna be really interesting for someone like him, also who's a little bit smaller compared to all these other giants in, in the in the company how he's going to be able to stand out for uh, years to come as well. Yeah, I, I again, I thought they both acquitted themselves very well. They're both super young. Uh, I really enjoyed that match. Uh, the TNT Championship match was next with uh, being presented by Iron Mike Tyson. Uh, Cody taking on Lance Archer uh, with Jake Roberts. I love pretty much everything about this other than I could have done without the, the Arn. I just, the Arn stuff with Cody just hasn't really hit on all cylinders for me yet. It's not. It hasn't been terrible, but there's just there's just something that doesn't quite fit right about it so far. Uh, but I did really enjoy this, and I do think it should have been the main event. Uh, the TNT Championship, which they alluded to on commentary, is not finished yet. Which I was I was really glad they said that because when I first looked at it, I was just like, "That's it." <laughs> it like it, it it looks like something a ch- a title that you can make on WWE 2K. You know, and, and, like, not one of the good ones. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm glad that they're going to be adding more to it, and, and I think the finished product will, will you know, because it's got good bones. You see, like, there's a good outline, a good blueprint for what it could yeah. be. So when it's finished, I, I think it'll look something special. Uh, but with Cody defeating Lance Archer, this was another one. I don't think Lance lost anything in defeat. I thought they t- told a really good story, uh, which is, again, why I thought it should have been the, the main event. And you have the coronation of this this first ever TNT champion. It's the the only time they'll ever be the first ever uh, TNT champion. But I re- I really enjoyed it, and I didn't think Lance Archer lost anything uh, in losing to Cody. Yeah, I mean, real quick before I forget, I mean, Lance Archer and uh, Swall they might have a match down the road. The 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 constant little back and forth mouth talk outside the ring with yeah. Lance and her that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, uh, the title itself, I was like, I like the big circular aspect of it. Apparently, it's red because uh, Tony Khan's a big fan of the NWA television title when it had the red strap for a period of time. Uh, that's why he kind of wants to mock that for a bit. And then uh, apparently, yeah, they're going to add some gold plates as well. It's like, okay, I, silver's cool, but like championships need gold on it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to how much gold they're going to add. And hopefully, maybe, you know, 
since they debuted an unfinished product, they can kind of read some of the criticisms online and kind of use that feedback to enhance it with more detail. Uh, maybe they already had like one outline for it, but now they can like uh, do another draft and like something that they come up with in the near future could be really excellent for the title to look at. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, yeah, the match itself was great. I mean, Cody, obviously old school as far as the storytelling he does in the ring. Uh, my big thing was for you, what did you think of Mike Tyson's whole role in this match? I thought it was a tad underwhelming. It was underwhelming. I wasn't expecting a ton from him, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I just wasn't in terms of his first sort of involvement during this whole this whole thing. Uh, I, I thought maybe that we would get uh, a... I thought he was going to play into the finish, but by by the time it was all said and done, uh, you know, it was it was what it was. He's going to be on Dynamite this week. Uh, I'm excited to see if he's going to do more in, in pro wrestling. Uh, he looked great, uh, like physically. Uh, I did like I liked Jake the Snake sort of cowering off. I think they could have I think they could have presented that a touch better, where Jake just gets out of dodge really fast and really sells it. You know, because I mean it's Kid Dynamite, so. Uh, well, it's the baddest man on the planet. Not gonna, yeah. not gonna mess with him. I was kind of hoping like they would actually show the snake, like actually bring it out, and like you know maybe at least just show it, just not just hold the bag. I mean, the bag could have been had filled with anything. Uh, but uh, uh, I was just gonna say with, with Tyson, I was hoping he was gonna throw some sort of a punch in the match. Yes. Yeah. What? Whether I mean, obviously it makes sense probably for Lance just because he's younger and could take a punch from him. I mean, Jake and. Uh, is too way too old and uh, fragile now. Uh, I was really shocked. Well, what did you, did you catch Mike Tyson yawning real quick and they cut the I camera? Did, I did. I did not catch that. Oh, you gotta look. It's probably a bunch of on Twitter, Instagram. I but, thought most of his reactions were pretty good throughout. Yeah. Though. Well, then, then when the the ref threw out Art Anderson, uh, Tyson was like, "Yeah, get him out of here." It's like Art's a babyface in this match. Well, like, what? I don't think anyone would ever accuse Mike Tyson of being a babyface in his career. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I just, I just don't, I mean, I, maybe instead of a punch, well, I guess we can't with social distancing, but what, but, but what if Mike had bitten Lance Archer on the ear? That would have been, that would have been something else. Uh, but o overall, I guess I didn't like necessarily Arn getting involved and, and causing Lance to fall in the turnbuckle in that way. I, I just, I would have, I would have rather seen any physicality sort of been similar to Arn and Tully with Arn and Jake this time. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we I, I thought the finish was good. Like I thought it, I love the the rolling crossroads. The the double crossroads is very cool. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. But I just want to know what is on Arn Anderson's little paper, the laminate that he brings out. Like plays, like, bro. What kind of plays? Like okay, if he throws a punch, arm bar. You done. <laughs> it's, it's it's taken from Jericho's you, list of holds. Yeah, but if he pins you. Try to break the two, break at two at least. I mean, it's like. Well, I think it, I think it's pretty well known that Arn Anderson tries to run the West Coast offense with any Cody match. So, uh, I, I, so I, I was just gonna say I also enjoyed the parts where uh, Cody DDT Archer in front yes. of Jake, and then Archer did the spinebuster in front of Arn. It's like take that. So it's just it's just very cool how AEW you're they're bringing these veterans, the the older guys in. And using them in some capacity and at least bridging uh, the, the old generation with the new generation. And, you know, for the younger fans watching, it's like these are all legends in our business. They, you know, what they did is what was why we exist today. 
So we got to pay respect and tribute to them in some ways. And it's great getting them involved. So I think it's just cool for them coming out and like they're using their moves on each other. And um, and like last week on Dynamite, you know, like big what if. What if D- Jake the Snake did take on Arn Anderson? How awesome that would have been. And so uh, but this match itself, I, I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Cody, it, I'm so happy to see him win. Like, you know. Like, two weeks ago, I was dead set, like, oh, Lance Archer's going to win. But then again, Cody, all these other big pay-per-views, he's lost. He is yep. due for a win on a big pay-per-view. And because of the lineage with his dad and and Turner broadcasting for decades, it kind of makes sense for him. And also, you know, he becomes the face of maybe, you know, AEW and the network and on television, it's going to maybe kind of resemble like a television title defended pretty regularly on TV. Cody is arguably the most over baby face in the company. It makes sense for him to win it, be the first one. And he's been very vocal. He cannot go after the, the world championship. So this is the next best option for him. So it just makes perfect. And Lance Archer, if anything, Lance Archer can now be that much more pissed off as a monster and maybe wants to just give cody hell like ruin his life as best as he can like going after him now he's pissed off or let keep in mind darby allen and cody they still have beef with each other i mean this could easily set up the two of them having a program maybe for all out in a few months so like cody has plenty of options because cody he'll go in a pay-per-view take on someone and after that the storyline's done you look at chris jericho mjf he moves on to the next person so i'm excited to see where cody who his next opponent's going to be after this pay-per-view. He moves on and and, and creates new storylines. So, Cody, I'm all happy for him to see win this. We already touched on uh, Statlander, Ford, and Rhodes, and Spears. So let's get to uh, the no-DQ, no-count-out match for the AEW Women's World Championship, the champion Nyla Rhodes taking on Hikaru Shida. Uh, and obviously, with the stuff that we talked about at the top of the show with, with Hanakamura and everything playing large in the you know, the life of Hikaru Shida and everything like that. And they made the title switch here, and, and I understand the, the heartstrings appeal of that. And I am no great fan of Nyla Rose necessarily in her in her in-ring work. However, I did think it was kind of a head-scratching booking decision to take the championship off of her. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, as I talked about in our last full-length episode, that I, I thought that Chris Statlander was kind of being groomed to be sort of that monster versus monster, you know, just a, a babyface version taking on a heel version for that collision to happen. Mm-hmm. I was very excited. So I, I thought this was kind of an odd booking call. What did you think? Yeah, I'm with you because she just won it at the last pay-per-view, if I remember correctly. So it, it just, yeah, seems a little abrupt to, to, to take it off her, but, you know, considering this the landscape of pro wrestling this past week, it, you know, it kind of, it, it plays into, it, it's a nice little bit of storytelling as far as, you know, uh, uh, Sheeta winning the title considering the, the events that happened earlier this week. Um, but the match itself, it was pretty badass. Like for no DQ, I mean, they used the whole uh, floor and the part of the seats, the whole setting around them to really just lay into each other, the big poker chips and, you know, high spots and kicks all over the place. So, I mean, those two laid it out all there. So to cr- credit to them, respect to them for just uh, uh, beating each other's ass out there. Yeah, for very hard work hard- by both. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I I really enjoyed the match. And, uh, you know, Sheeta's really uh, growing on to me. And, you know, she's, what, 12 and or uh, I think 12 and 0 or 12 and 1 or something this year alone. So it's like she's been low key just like 
you know, breaking out with this big winning streak going. So listen, uh, I, I thought Sheeta should have been the inaugural women's champion. When it, like it, I thought they made the wrong call with Rio. So I, I'm glad that they've sort of righted that wrong necessarily. But I do think that you know Nyla loses a lot of credibility as you know the native beast to have such you know what was supposedly this dominating run cut so short here. Yeah. Um, and again, well, so I just thought that was kind of a head scratcher. And I, I think, you know, listen, I, I'm sure to AEW and their credit in this first year of existence, because now it's been a full year since the first double or nothing. I think they do take into account stuff that's not working and try to course correct it as best they can. So you look at like, you know, Brandy Rhodes and her her weird story angle she was doing with uh, uh, Kong and stuff like that. So little you know, did we dro- know that we would need somebody to cut our hair months later so (laughs) i'm just saying that like like okay they saw that wasn't working they dropped it uh maybe they saw with the rio thing it wasn't necessarily working or getting over with the crowd so it's like maybe the vision that they had originally for the women's division obviously they saw wasn't working they're trying to course correct it you know get in on nyla rose you know off her and now Sheeta has it. So the women's division has improving for 2020 so far. I will say that. Um, and you saw some of the, the female wrestlers in attendance. It's unfortunate. Britt Baker, as you mentioned, she is injured for looks like six to eight weeks. Um, it could have been a lot worse. A lot of people were speculating. Um, but for her only be gone for two months, that's not too bad because she could still probably be on TV doing other segments just to remind people she's still there. But for the women's division overall, I think it's still heading in the right direction. It's, it, I still see big things for them. I, I like this year. I think they really are doing a lot to improve it. All right. That brings us to the AEW world championship match. It was John Moxley defending against Mr. Brody Lee. Uh, I thought this was very good. Uh, I liked, I thought, you know, it's, one thing I'll give him credit for is it's very rare to see a any match end with a sleeper hold, let alone your world championship match. I, I thought it was a creative, fun finish. Uh, I, I think, again, both people looked great. I thought Brody Lee didn't really lose anything in defeat, which is, you know, sort of sort of the goal when you're going into this because you have, you have two characters that sort of need protection here, and I thought they took care of that very well. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I don't really enjoy the... It's sort of like the uh, Brody Lee and the like, not liking people sneezing sort of uh, jab at Vince. Like the less, like I just think that there's it's such low hanging fruit. I just think that you're better than that. Like be more creative than that. Create your own character. Uh, but overall, I, I really, I really enjoy this championship match, and I just continue to be impressed with the former Dean Ambrose and how he has gotten back to his John Moxley roots and, and then building off of that, his presentation, his charisma. Uh, it is not the same old, same old every match with him. Like he got sort of into the routine in WWE, to be honest with you at times. So, uh, you know, hats off to him for that. I enjoyed it though. Yeah. And by the way, so was this a no DQ match as well, as far as them going outside and using, I don't believe it. I don't think so. But, you know, the referee has – it's at their discretion. <laughs> he just let it go. So um, I, I did like seeing Brody Lee with the hard punching. I mean, obviously, his name's Brody. Uh, he's a big fan of Bruiser Brody. And it was cool that on commentary they did acknowledge a Bruiser Brody. Tony Schiavone, thank you for that. But uh, so it just – if he can bring that style to AEW, I'm all for that big monster hard-hitting dude. Uh, so him and Moxley, I mean, they have a long history – Obviously, in WWE, Luke Harper and Dean Ambrose. And I think even in CZW, I read or heard. Uh, so they have 
they've worked a lot of matches together. Uh, so it was just, it's very cool to see them kind of keep working at this level. Um, by one thing with the finish though, and this is just something in wrestling, they really give it up on ref. You know, when someone's in a sleeper hold, they lift the arm up and then let it fall down, lift it up again, fall down. And then they lift up a third time and either they, you know, keep their arm in the air after the ref let go and they, you know, start hulking up as they say, or if it falls down for the third time, then you stop the match. This one, you know, Brody Lee had his arm up and then it just dropped and the ref stopped it. So well, I was kind of hoping he was going to hold hold it up again. That That's directly a correlation to the popularity of MMA and UFC and how ref stoppages are done now. So the, it's it's just a different time. So when you see that somebody is not able to defend themselves and they're out, that's it. That's a wrap. So I think gone are the days of the the one, two, Hulk up, arm lift. I think it's just, it's just you get one now. And, and I get why that is because, again, the popularity of UFC – and just the knowledge of the fan base, it's just it's just different. You know, back in the day, uh, it was it was different then. Um, so I, I, I get that. Uh, that brings us to the stadium stampede match. It was Matt Hardy and the Elite uh, taking on the Inner Circle. Uh, this was, I, I will say, as advertised. It was as crazy as advertised. Uh, I I enjoyed a, a great deal of this. Um, you know, some of it I did not enjoy necessarily, and some of it I enjoyed and didn't enjoy almost right on top of one another. Um, but I think uh, there was there was a lot to love here uh, if you're a fan of, of both these teams and sort of some of the more slapsticky things. I think I think it went on too long. I think there was there was too much of that. But overall, it was it was entertaining as all hell. I think I would have enjoyed it more if it wasn't the main event of the card. Um, okay. But you know the the elite and Matt Hardy did prevail here, which I think was the right the right booking call. Also, um, I and I have to say for the 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 MVP a lot of of uh, the MVP of a lot of this stuff uh, between the inner circle and the elite has to go to Sammy Guevara. He he, he he has really upped his game. I feel like in just his in terms of his theatrical selling and everything like that. Sa- Sammy Guevara running away. Is is becoming a is sort of a pretty cool wrestling trope uh, that they are doing. So I, I loved Adam Page coming out on the horse. Uh, I hated Adam Page being completely lost on the horse and you know be, <laughs> taking himself out of the like. It just was. You make him look like a badass, and then then he just looks like a total geek. I I just I, I that that I won't get. And Adam Page I think is just such a star. Uh, but I, I liked, I, I liked a lot of what they did. What did you think? Well, I'm just saying with the horse thing, it's like, okay, if you, if you chase off Sammy Guevara into the stadium in the, uh, underground, uh, if you're on the horse, why just go back and help the rest of your team? So it's five on four, like, like, okay, let that guy be a chicken and run off. Let's go ahead. Five on four. Like you can outnumber them. Turn back around. But yeah, the fact that he was gone for a period, I'm just slowly tiptoeing with the horse down the hall. It's like, come on, man. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the entrance, I enjoy both of them coming out. Like the, like the players and visitors, visitors sections, like from a Jaguars game. And it was cool. Inner circle with their team uniforms. Uh, I was kind of anticipating the elite. were going to have their own uniforms, but they didn't. So that's cool. It just shows inner circle more tight in that sense. I, I loved the, uh, the Jaguars cheerleaders being there too. Yes. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. And then uh, I enjoyed as far as like, okay, they all kind of scrambled, run together, 
uh, are duking it all out outside the ring, around the ring. The ring wasn't really used that much. Like, and then, and then it kind of everyone after that broke off, and then you got like different segments of people around the stadium using it. As I said last week, I, I think what they did here was really good. It's like using the whole stadium to their advantage. Uh, so it's like we saw, you know, Adam Page chase off Sammy Guevara. Uh, you know, Chris Jericho and uh, uh, the Young Bucks, uh, you know, trying to uh, go at each other. And, you know, Jericho challenged Aubrey, uh, Aubrey, at ref, the what's it, the ref Aubrey, whatever her name is, uh, you know, for a, a, a play review. And they go in the blue tent. And then even uh, Matt Jackson was, I think, with Guevara, you know, doing the, um, uh, we got suplex across the whole 100 yards. I yard. hated and, that. <laughs> I mean, it was just like such a up, like the cuts. It was like he was on the fifty yard line, then the third. Like it was so obvious they were not doing the full. And if you're yards. if you're gonna do that, and you don't give me a Berman, he could go all the way. What are we even doing here? Like well, if you don't give me a Chris Berman on that, uh, what what are we doing? Well, maybe he has the copyrights, like Michael Buffer. Has I, I, well, then I, we're <laughs> gonna be in trouble, friendo. <laughs> but then he uh, he spiked his head at the end too. I enjoyed that. But like I, the other MVP I was gonna say is Matt Hardy and him and Kenny Omega taking on uh, uh, formerly known as LAX up at the uh, uh, Santana Ortiz up at like the uh, like second level. Uh, <laughs> like they take out Kenny Omega with some salt and he's like gone and it's just Matt Hardy versus the two of them and takes him into the pool and that whole pool segment. Like I texted you beforehand, like I think you were gonna love that whole segment. Did you did you enjoy it? So the the pool segment, uh, I so I popped big time for the new version of the Matt Facts, the Matter of Facts. Yes. Uh, I thought like in a vacuum, it was it was a great wink and nod to Matt Hardy fans in a in a lot of ways, and there was a lot of uh, hilarity to be had there. As a wrestling fan, I don't know if it was necessarily the best the best thing in the world uh, on, a, on a few different levels because you have Santana and Ortiz straight up trying to murder Matt Hardy and you, and you have him doing a dead man's float in there. I just thought that was a questionable visual. Uh, I thought the, you know, while again, very funny and very entertaining and look, I live for the Matt facts. It just, it was, uh, it was a little out of place sort of in this match because it's not just in the sort of broken Matt Hardy world of things. This was the elite and the inner circle, like some top, top tier serious stuff going on, you know, between them. Uh, so, and look, I for me as a Matt Hardy fan, of course, I, I enjoyed it. I, I was just going to say, so real quick, going back to our interview with Matt Hardy, you asked him about using social media, the play into your gimmick, and he was one of the first people to do that. And so, uh, once again, on Twitter yesterday, he says, when I learned there were pools in the stadium, I knew stocking them with the magical waters of the Lake of Reincarnation would be dot 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 wonderful so it's for him he's using twitter to kind of explain his actions so for anyone who didn't know uh what led off this whole magical transformation in the pool that was it so just cool you know matt using twitter just to kind of explain that but uh uh, going from like the classic Matt to the big money Matt look, so I, I, I geeked out for that. I popped big time for for the matter of facts. As as I discussed uh, after our interview with Matt, I loved version one Matt Hardy. So to to see that was, you know, it was a cool little love letter to people who have followed his career so so intently. It was it was it was nice. Yeah, so I mean, he's trying to. It looks like if you follow him on Twitter, he's trying to kind of explain 
each form of him. So follow him on Twitter at my, my Hardy brand, the kind of explanation of all that. But yeah, I was like, where's Kenny Omega during this whole time? Like his partner or his buddy is getting beaten up. Like, come on, salt to the eyes. is not that bad. Get back in there and help him. Um, but uh, when Matt threw, uh, 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 I think it was Santana into the, to the ice machine and says for your inflammation, like it, Matt's Matt's creativity, Matt's comedic timing are still underrated. The, 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 the yeah. thing, like I still will laugh to myself uh, when I think about the you know the original deletion stuff with uh, when when Brother Nero saves him and he just goes, Brother Nero, that was unselfish. <laughs> I just I don't know. It's such a simple thing, but it just it always makes me just chuckle to myself. Uh, uh, so yeah, he's he's got such a such a brilliant, insane mind. <laughs> yeah, no, and then like the the whole bar fight with uh, uh, Jake Hager and Hangman Page, it, it really felt like something from a movie, like you know, a Roadhouse or something like that. I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, he drag him across the bar table, uh, and just the two of them talking, like, are we gonna drink or we're we gonna fight? And just bam, bam, like I, I love that, like just the energy there it was really cool. And then Kenny Omega comes in. They take him out, and then they uh, have a, a shot of whiskey and a glass of milk together. So, like, that was all cool. So, like I said, it was cool how it was, like, broken up into segments where each members are fighting each other in different parts of the stadium. And you – let me ask you this. From the sake of, like, continuity, do you think all this stuff was happening around the same time, more or less? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine relatively. Uh, you know, who knows how many times they had to retake something or – yeah. Or, or what have you, but I, I think uh, overall, though they just they did a good job. I think they could have shortened it quite a bit. I would have, uh, yeah. I just I would have just taken some of it out, and you, then you have some stuff left over if you do this kind of match again. Some things that you can do instead of just throwing it all in there. Uh, you know, you could have shaved some stuff off and then have some ideas for next time because I think Which, this, I don't think this is the last time that we're going to see a stadium stampede match. So true. Yeah, I, I think Tony Khan has said like he uh, enjoyed it and wanted to do more of it. Um, and then a couple – real quick, uh, one question. Do you think this is the blow-off between the two of them, or we're still going to get blood and guts at one point, at some point down the road? And then two, just uh, what would you think of the finish itself? Just Sammy Guevara taking a one-winged angel from Kenny Omega off the off the balcony up there. That was awesome. It, it, it was good. I mean, it was very crash patty, which I understand because yeah. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But, I, you know, I think – I would have almost preferred them to just finish Quivera with another golf cart rundown, but well, they uh, did chase them. On they the field. did. That was cool. Yeah, it was, and I think uh, I mean it was it was a good finish. I think the right team won. I don't know if this continues on or they or they go their separate ways uh, or not. Um, but I think a lot of that is going to depend on when things can get more back to normal. Yeah. Uh, if they revisit this or not, but overall. Uh, you know, warts and all. I, I know, like, they, like matches like these are very polarizing, and I and I and I am sort of an odd duck in that I see the merits of both the very old school and the new school kind of stuff. Uh, but there are a lot of traditionalists that probably hated this match, uh, and then there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of people that are they're younger and uh, that probably think this is like the greatest match AEW's ever done. Uh, I, I'm in the middle. Uh, I appreciate it for what it was. I was very entertained by it. Uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to see it become the norm necessarily because look, I, I get all bent out of shape when, you know, movies about 
guys that throw shields that come back to them and people wearing flying suits of armor aren't taken as seriously as they should be. So I'm maybe not the right guy to ask about it, but uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I do think my highlight was the Matt Fact moment. Uh, that that just was that just made me so happy, uh, especially just coming on the heels of having talked to him and then and then sort yeah. of reminiscing about it and and how much I liked it at the time. That was very cool. But they did a good job entertaining us all. Who you know, you shelter in place. This pandemic, they put a smile on a lot of people's faces, in my opinion. And I think what I will say, it was worth the money. Uh, yes. And and so that that is my main takeaway from Double or Nothing. And the other thing, too, Jimbo, I think it's safe to say we are good luck charms. In 2020, <laughs> we, hey, listen, we talked to Drew McIntyre twice. He won the Royal Rumble, and he won at WrestleMania to become the new WWE champion. We talked to Matt Hardy. Him and his team win the stadium stampede. We are good luck charms. So I think if anything on this 100th episode, we need to remind people, you come on our show, good things happen to you, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, for everyone out there, keep in mind, we are – Good luck charms. We pay it forward. So, yo, hey, that's why you need to be part of this show in some capacity. We we spread the wealth around, man. Well, I'll I'll let you put us over. I won't I won't go that far. I I do appreciate everyone that's come on, and it's been it's been a hundred great episodes. And like you, all kidding aside, I've had a blast doing them, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm really proud of the work that we have done. That is a perfect perfect place to end this week's episode, though. For Baby Huey, I'm Bimbo Jimbo. We'll catch you in the next 100. And remember, if you're not in the click, see ya. And I wouldn't want to be ya.